Take your Bible, if you will. Good morning again, by the way. Uh, and take your Bible uh, with, uh, take your Bible, your copy of the Word of God, and go to Philippians chapter 1. I want to say thank you again for choosing to worship with us. Um, there is uh, always an option to, to not gather, but we are commanded to gather, and I'm, I'm glad that we are here. I'm thankful to be here this morning. And quite frankly, you know, it's after long weeks sometimes, you know, it's encouraging to be among God's people. It is just encouraging to be among God's people. I was talking to a family not too long ago where the word fellowship came from, and there's many different ideas of where it might have came from. But one idea was when ships would go out, you know, back back in the day, they would travel amongst the seas. They didn't dare go out on those seas, you know, like like America was discovered with the Nina and the. There we go, the, the high school teacher. Yeah, uh, so they, they traveled in threes, you know, but they would never go out alone. They would bring a fellowship next to them so they would be able to brave the storms of life with each other and they would help each other. And we as Christians need that fellowship. And uh, it is encouraging to see your faces this morning. It's encouraging to be in the house of the Lord having fellowship, not just with each other, but with Almighty God. And that is incredibly important. You know, there's, there's so much in this world that's confusing. There are many things that just cause friction in our lives, whether it's sometimes you're having a bad day at home or a bad day at work or just the world in general. But, you know, there doesn't have to be confusion in the church. I'm thankful for the simplicity of the gospel. It is simple. Coming to Christ is simple. Finding strength in Christ is simple. Reverent worship is simple. It's just refreshing, I think. Um, so I'm grateful that we who come from all walks of life this morning, we have people in this, in this church here that come from all different cultures, all different uh, countries, all different religions in our past, but all of us can find a great commonality in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is important. Regardless of who we are, where we have been, or what we have done, God has called every single person in this world to accept the payment that he made on the cross of Calvary so many years ago. And as Christians, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit we have within us, we can always, 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 always find strength and refuge in Jesus Christ. I know some of us may be going on vacation here. Some of us are already on vacation. Hopefully not while you're here. Um, but we can. doesn't matter where we go, we can, we can take Christ with us because he is with us. In fact, if there is any group of people on this planet who can face this world with confidence, should it not be Christians? It is God's people. In John chapter 16, I know I told you to turn to Philippians, but keep your place there in Philippians. I want you to turn back to John, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And this is a, an important passage here. It's the last verse of John 16. So if you can go to John 17 and go up one verse, of course. Um, but if you're in the habit of underlining things in your, in your Bible, this is, this is a good verse. The Bible says in John 16, 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this morning. We thank you for the, the reading of your word, and, and we will certainly read more. We know that it is your word that doesn't return void, your word that goes out and does as you uh, see fit, Lord, not my words. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as I preach, Lord, that you fill me with your Holy Spirit. 
Lord, that you fill your people with your Holy Spirit. Lord, help us all be in the Spirit this morning, in truth and in doctrine, Lord. May we worship you as we hear uh, your word uh, preached to us and expounded upon, Lord. We thank you. We thank you, thank you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. Amen. So I'm going to read this verse again, John 16, 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. In other words, we may face hard times in this world. Actually, we will face hard times in this world. But in Christ alone, we can be confident that we can have a peace that passes all understanding that gets us through every storm of life. In fact, the Greek word used here that John used to quote Jesus for cheer, be of good cheer, means courage, means confident. Be of a happy confidence in Christ. Put a different way, Jesus is saying here, because I give you my peace, you can be of good cheer, you can be comforted, you can be confident because of Christ, we can be confident Christians, which is the title of our message this morning, Confident Christianity. I think that many times we go through life, and I'm guilty from time to time. I was guilty for a number of years. We go through our life, and we live a reactive Christianity. God doesn't want us to live a reactive Christianity. Many times we pray when things happen to us instead of proactive prayer so that we can be used of God. But God wants us to be confident Christians. He didn't send His only begotten Son to endure the rigors of the cross. I mean, think about that for a moment. For us to have a nominal Christianity. He sent His only begotten Son to die on that old rugged cross, to bear our sin, to become our sin, so that we could be children, His children, confident children. We're not to practice a so-so Christianity. We are to be confident Christians. And we have the tools to be confident Christian. We should live as bold as his closest followers were or did there in the New Testament. In other words, we're not to follow Peter by the five barrel of doubt. Y'all remember that? He denied the Lord Jesus Christ. But we are to follow the Peter at Pentecost, filled with the Holy Spirit, bold and living for the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to be confident Christians. I'm convinced, and the more I study the Scriptures, the more I spend time, and I want to say authentic prayer, because sometimes prayer is just words, but I'm talking about authentic prayer. The more I spend in the scriptures, the more I spend in authentic prayer, the more I realize that God expects so much more from me. So much more. And many of the things that you and I miss the mark on, I believe, are connected to our confidence. Our confidence. Notice back in Philippians there, verse number 3. Let's just begin reading right there in verse number 1. Paul says, Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the servants in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 3 says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So very clearly, as Christians, we see that it is God. Actually, look over at verse number 13. God who began this work, chapter 2, verse 13. 
The Bible says, For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. So the work that he began, that he is, of course, God. So we see that God has begun a work in you. God has begun a work in this ministry. God has begun a work in your family, and he will perform that work. And as a redeemed child of God, we know that God has done something in us that no other person can. And because no man comes to the Father but by Jesus Christ, we know that that confidence begins with Christ. It begins with Christ. So we're number one this morning. We must be confident in Christ. Confident in Christ. Look at verse 6 again. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. So Paul began this joyous letter, this rejoicing letter, by reminding the Philippian believers that God is still at work among them, in their lives, in their person. But I want to point out that there is a significant implication in verse 6 that cannot be missed. It should not be missed. It's, this letter is for believers. The work has already been began. To say that you are a confident Christian, that you are confident in Christ without a relationship with Christ, is as ludicrous as if I were single telling you that I'm happily married. That, it just doesn't make any sense. It's an illogical statement. And so many of us, at one time or another, we crave to, for God to do a work in us. I'm not the only one. I realize that. I know that we go through seasons and we don't really put God where he needs to be. But then as we start to get right with the Lord and we start to worship him and the worship becomes more meaningful, the words of his, word, of his Bible just kind of leap off the pages into our hearts and minds because we're falling in love with the Lord all over again. And we want God to do a great work in us like the work we see in other people, maybe some missionaries, but we don't possess confidence in our salvation. And I realize that this is not the main thrust of verse 6 here. The main thrust is sanctification, the work that God is doing in us. But there is no sanctification without salvation. It's just not going to happen. We must be saved. And just to be clear, salvation is the authentic recognition of our wretchedness, our wickedness in the light of His righteousness. The righteousness found only in Jesus Christ. We must realize that we have deeply offended God. I realize that I'm talking here to Christians here, but just in case there's one here among us that doesn't know for sure they have a home in heaven, we gotta, how, how shameful would that be for me to allow without at least giving that person the gospel? So if you're that person this morning between you and God, realize that you've offended God. You have offended Him and we must recognize that we have offended him and then turn away from ourself, turn away from our sin, and turn to the Son. Repent to the, uh, towards the Son of God in the flesh, which is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. We must accept that payment. John chapter 1 talks about how we must receive. There's no, we must believe and receive. There's no being a son of God, a sons of God, a child of God, without reception of that payment. We must receive Christ. To believe that he made a sinless sacrifice on that cross so many years ago. And that faith must be a confident faith. I know I probably talk uh, quite a bit from time to time about how we must have what I like to call a quote-unquote no-so salvation. We must know that we have eternal life. Because, it, you know, 
we are not to trust in our abilities. Even, even as, as your pastor, I've been saved for a number of years, there's times when I go through the day and I realize that I am putting forth my own efforts to please a holy God. It just doesn't work that way. We can never please Him in our positional state more than we already have in Christ. He has paid that sin debt for us. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't live a certain way. We should live a certain way. But it begins with surrender. We must surrender ourselves to Him. We do not trust in our abilities. We don't get to heaven on our merits. We have no confidence in the flesh. Our confidence is in Christ alone. You see, at the end of the day, regardless of how I lived that day, whether I gave God the glory or I failed Him miserably, my salvation is secure because it's not based on my actions. It's based on His actions, and He is faithful. He is faithful. All of my sins were paid for on the cross. Tomorrow's sins are paid for, are paid for on the cross. It's not my works, but His works. My sins are gone. They're paid for, and that's never going to change. 1 John 5.13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Friends, we can be confident in Christ. And when we have this kind of confidence, when we know that no matter what, because of, because of the cross, because we put our faith and we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior, we can have that same confidence through our sanctification. Because he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We must trust Christ. That good work he performs is making us more like him. There are many things we go through in this life, and, and we'll talk a little bit more about those, but we have no idea why we're going through those things, but God can use those things. In fact, in Romans 8.29, the Bible states, Whom he did foreknow, he also did predestine to be conformed to the image of his sons. That's, that's us. And the verse right before that states that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. We can be confident that no matter what comes our way, God, who began a good work in us, will never quit on us. He will work on us. How long does that verse say? Until the day of Jesus Christ. Until the end, God has a plan for us. And quite honestly, it is the things that God allows in our lives that we have the most trouble with. The conflicts that He allows in our lives. But it is pr precisely those things that conform us to be more like Him. And if we are truly to be more like Jesus Christ, we are of a necessity going to endure trials in this life. It's going to happen. Notice first, jump down to verse 12. Verse 12 says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, I want you to understand some things, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many, many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident, by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preach Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add afflictions to my bond, the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? 
Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And I therein do rejoice, and yea, will rejoice, for I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So number one, we must be confident in Christ and then confident through conflict. It is interesting to know, I started this this morning with the fact that we are in the prison epistles. This letter Paul wrote from prison, but on average, about every seven verses, he mentions something about joy, about rejoice. It's considered the most joyful letter in all of the New Testament, and he wrote it from prison. Now, let me ask you this. For those of you who have been maybe deployed or have been in some rough places, you know, and how are your letters seasoned when you write home? I mean, is it all joyful? I mean, I hope it is. Many times we, we leave some of those important things out, but Paul is writing, encouraging them. You know, sometimes when we're in a place like prison, we're writing so that we can get a letter back so that we can be encouraged. And the opposite is, is going on here. Every, or every seven verses, there is something about rejoice. You know, we can easily say that Paul was in the midst of a conflict, but there is not even a hint of him asking for pity. Not even close. We only see his confidence in Christ. And there are two results to the conflicts Paul endured as a confident Christian. Number one, there's the furtherance of the gospel, and then the emboldening of the saints. Look at verse 13, so that my, or the end of verse 12, the furtherance of the gospel, these things have fallen out rather into the furtherance of the gospel. And then 13, uh, my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident. He emboldened the saints. Those two things there, the furtherance of the gospel and the emboldening of the saints, emboldening of the saints. But before we get to those, I want to say it's important to point out Again, that these two results were the product of a man who lived confidently in Christ. I don't think Paul was sitting in that prison and just going back and forth. Well, you know, I'm here. I might die tomorrow. I sure hope I'm saved. I don't, you, you don't see that at all. He is actually encouraging others to have that confident salvation. And he wasn't there for his own wrongdoings. He wasn't there in the Roman prison because he got a DUI. He wasn't driving drunk on some chariot somewhere and got pulled over. He wasn't in prison because he had some domestic violent charge. He was in prison because he preached Christ. That's why he went to jail. And because of that, the gospel was furthered and the saints were emboldened. And even though some of those saints made light of his situation, even mocking him, he stayed confident. He remained, he, he remained confident. Look at um, verse 20. Or actually... Verse 19 and 20, For I know that this shall turn my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For Paul even if it cost him his life. Where are we in our relationship with the Lord? You see, Paul was determined to be bold, to be confident, so that Christ was magnified in his life or by his death. It didn't matter. Wherever, if I can use a, a secular reference, wherever the chips fell, so to speak, Paul was going to be found in Christ. No matter what, he was going to go the way. He was going to be confident all the way to the end. Now we 
are not in prison. We are not in the same situation that Paul was in, but there is an application here. Because there will always be some sort of conflict we're in. Some of us are in a conflict right now. And I realize that the conflicts we faced are sometimes not as noble. They're not always a result of our commitment to Christ. Sometimes the struggles we go through are because of our own poor choices. I would say probably more often than not. Sometimes we endure conflicts because of the mistakes of others. Sometimes we have no idea why we're going through a conflict. But whether that conflict arises through our commitment to Christ, which is, of course, the most honorable, or because it rises because of others, we can be confident that God is with us. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Remember, he that which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. There's never going to be a day in this world where you do not have Christ with you. All the way. God never promised us, by the way, that we will not have conflict. Again, back in John 16, 33, he says, In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Look at verse 29 of Philippians chapter 1. He says, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. The Bible states also in 2 Timothy 3.12, We that all who will live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution. What does that mean for us? We can mark it down. God is going to allow conflict in our life. God is going to allow conflict in our life so that we can be more like Jesus Christ. He didn't cause all the conflicts. Sometimes he uh, sends us into the conflict. Sometimes other things happen. The devil has a vote. We do have an enemy here who, who walks about seeking whom he may destroy. But God can use every one of them to make us more like him. You know, if you think about it, the best captain in the fleet didn't become the best captain by sailing through calm seas. He became it by charging through and being confident in those rough seas. So in this life, we need conflicts. As crazy as that sounds, we need conflicts for growth. Remember when Jesus walked on the water? You remember the story there? He was on the, on the shore there. They just... Shortly there before that, they fed uh, many there on the, on the shore side. They, they left, and the Bible says that Peter, or that Jesus, went up into the mountain, but before that, he sent the apostles over to Capernaum, if, our, if my uh, mind, uh, if I remember correctly. So Jesus sends them out into the water, and he goes onto the mountain to pray. He was on the shore. He sent them. Now, Jesus knows all things. So he sent them into the midst of the storm when he wasn't even with them. He was on the shore. His last command put them right in the heart of the worst storm they had ever experienced. Even as a seasoned fisherman who sailed across that sea, no doubt hundreds of times, Peter, as probably a 40-year-old fisherman, he feared for his life. It was a storm like no other, and Christ put him right in the middle of it. You see, God knows that when we realize that everything is completely out of our hands, we will most likely give him the worship and attention that he rightfully deserves. A few years ago, um, in 2017, about two weeks or three weeks, two or three weeks before I was going to be this pastor of this church, 
I became the pastor of Home Baptist Church the first Sunday in January 2018. So about two weeks prior to that, I used to have a, a Dodge Durango. I had it for about six months. <laughs> and I bought it here from another soldier on base, and I lived in Zoebersdorf, about 20 minutes away. So it was a December, it was an icy, icy day, and I came up this treacherous hill that y'all come all too often. But not for much longer, right? Yeah, it'll, it'll be another year. Yeah. Anyway, so I was coming up here, and the roads didn't look all that bad. I got four-wheel drive. I could drive anywhere I want to go, right? And uh, I used to be an 18-wheeler drive. Not an 18-wheeler. I used to drive an 18-wheeler. I've I've got many, many miles, many accident-free miles behind the wheel of many different things overseas, different places around the world up until that day. And uh, I was driving, and my my truck did kind of like this number. And I auto-corrected it and didn't put my foot on the brake. I did all the right things, and it straightened back up, and then it did this number. I straightened back up and did that, and then it just did this. And I'm going down the road like this, and I knew that I had no control of this vehicle. Beyond the shadow of it, and everything's in slow motion, right? So, I mean, you remember that way anyway. And I can honestly tell you that I was, this is not a reference to some song, but I did take my hands off the wheel. I was like, Lord, I am not in control of this vehicle. There is nothing I can do. I've done my best. I need you. And that thing rolled a couple times. Uh, When when, uh, a truck driver got there, he was was there. I was hanging upside down in the seatbelt. And uh, I had my phone on me. I was like, well, here, Apple, here's your chance. Hey, Siri. (laughs) She didn't work. (laughs) So I had to crawl. I had to cut myself out of the seatbelt. And uh, I got out. And this this truck driver, German truck driver, standing like, He's like, wow, because the thing is all crushed. The whole hood, the driver's side was crushed. And I had one scratch, not much bigger than this scratch right here. And I walked out, and I remember getting out. All I can think of is where am I, because I have a, a Bible in there that I like. It's like, where am I, where's my Bible? And I got out, and they were laying right there by the door. In the gla- I mean, just perfect. I grabbed my Bibles, and I walked over there. He called the pull side. I got another, another soldier shump, uh, came there, and uh, he called my wife, and the rest is history. Two weeks two or three weeks before I took over this pastor uh, here, here at this church. But I was convinced in that moment, probably much like Peter was at that moment, that I had no control over this. And God allowed me to go through that. He allowed that in my life. You know, the, the, the mindset that I had in that moment to give it all to the Lord is the mindset that we must have all the time. All the time. Maybe if we had that mindset, we wouldn't go through things. Maybe. I don't know. You know, for some Christians, little storms produce great faith. They get a little bit of friction in our life, they turn to God. Little storms produce great faith. But for us, hard, harder cases, let's just say that I'm thankful God's still working on me. And I think God's still working on Well, He is. He's promised to work on us. So as we endure one conflict after another, regardless of what we think caused that conflict, me or anybody else, we will hopefully learn through all these conflicts that God is God and we are not. We will hopefully learn to trust Him more so that our confidence in Him grows greater and greater and greater through each conflict. 
you know, the goal is, is quite honest to grow spiritually, right? To be more like Him. I mean, think about it. If we only grow spiritually, if I went through that wreck and I only knew that I'm never buying those style of tires again, or I'm never driving a Durango, only whatever, you know, I learned all these earthly things. If that's all I learned, my benefit is only earthly. But if I walk away with a spiritual application and I grow in Christ because of that, that's an eternal benefit. An eternal benefit. Those rewards are everlasting. Even if the conflict was not the result of our commitment to Christ, even if it was the result of our own sin, if we can just trust Christ in those storms and be confident, we will walk through those storms much like Peter walked on water. We just have to keep our eyes on Jesus, our eyes on Christ. Our confidence must be in Christ alone. He must be our all. I mean, if I were to ask for a show of hands for Christians, how many of y'all want Christ to be your all in your life? We would all raise our hands. But if I were to ask, is Christ our all? We would probably all keep our hands down. He must be our all. I mean, think again about Paul's situation here. He was in prison. He knew that he could die there. He knew that his life, he lived under the shadow of the executioner's axe. He knew that he would die there. In fact, a few years later, he would die in a prison similar in the same, in the same city. He would give his life for the gospel. But in verse 20, he wrote, Again, according to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether I'm alive or dead. Christ will be magnified. You might ask how Paul could have such confidence in Christ. How can we have that style of confidence, that kind of confidence in such adversity? Well, this confidence is truly the only logical conclusion for the Christian who can say and mean, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Friends, when Christ is our all, only the things of Christ really matter. You know, like the lyrics of that old hymnal, uh, is, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When Christ is our all, it changes everything. It changes our perspective on everything. Life itself becomes better. Church worship is better. Your relationships are better, especially if both you and your wife or husband have, a, have Christ first in their life. No, we're never without conflict, but true, inexplainable peace, the peace that God gives, is truly not the absence of conflict. That is not the peace that God offers us. The peace that He offers is the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in our hearts when He is our all in the storm. I mean, you see all the pictures there, Jesus on the water and Peter walking out to Him. And sometimes they have the storm, sometimes they do it right, but they were in the midst of a storm and Peter was walking in the water. Christ must be our all. And when our confidence is in Christ alone, not only will we endure conflicts with confidence knowing that He's with us, we will be determined to continue in those conflicts, to continue to live for Him all the way to the end. Notice, jump down to verse 21 now. The Bible again says, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But 
If I'm going to hang around here, if I live in the flesh, this is the fruit of my labor. Yet what I shall choose I wot not, or I know not, for I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart, and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance, for the furtherance of your faith. So we must have, have be confident to continue right there out of verse 25 and having this confidence. But before we get to that, I want to, I'm going to jump out, a, pull out a, pull, a few things here. Verse 23 says, I am in a strait betwixt two. What is he talking about? He's talking about he has a desire to be with Christ, which is far better, and he has a desire to be to remain in the flesh. Have you ever had that desire? I mean, I think as you get older, every time I go home, I meet with my parents, my father, without a shadow of a doubt, somewhere in that conversation, he's going to tell me, I'm looking forward to be over. I'm looking forward to, to meeting my Savior face to face. He has a desire to depart. But then look at that verse 24. He says, nevertheless, to be abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So for us who can say, come Lord Jesus, how many of us can say that our abiding, our continuing here is beneficial for others, spiritually speaking? We are to be confident to continue. I want to point out the phrase here, the key phrase in verse 25 in this application of the text is for your furtherance that we can be a blessing to others. I don't think Paul is saying that he knows the future here. He doesn't know the future no more than we do. So he promises that to be around to teach and pastor them. He's not, he don't know that, but he is saying that if he is here, he's going to continue. He is saying to them, if I live in the flesh, I am confident that I will be used of God for the furtherance and joy of your faith. Paul says, I know. I know who I am. I'm going to do this. I know myself enough, and more importantly, I know my Savior enough to also know that my abiding in the flesh, my continuation in this life, is going to be more needful for you. That's a bold statement from Paul. He is saying, I'm going to continue. I am confident that I will serve my Lord. And again, you might ask yourself, how can Paul say this? How can he be so bold? Is it not a boastful statement? Well, I think you can probably look at that from one perspective, but there is really, again, only one way for Paul or any of us to be able to truthfully say this, and that answers again in verse 21. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, Paul was confident and wrote in verse 25, look at that again, verse 25, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance. He's not saying, I know I'm going to live to tomorrow. He's saying, I know that I'm here. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to be an example to you. I'm going to live a Christ-like life. I know that I shall abide. He was confident that six months from now, when he wrote this, he would still be doing the same things. Christ would still be his all. A year from now, Paul is saying, Christ is still my all. Two years from now, I'm telling you now that Christ is still going to be my all. We can have that same confidence. We should have that same confidence. You see, for Paul to live was Christ and to die was gain. We need to have that confidence. And it's not in us. It's not a self-confidence. It's not a, a, 
a muster up, tie up your boots, kind of go to work kind of sermon. This is put our confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ kind of sermon. This is not a seminar. This is a sermon. And I get it. Many times we don't want to make such assertions because we don't want to fail. I think even as a young Christian, I learned that verse. It's better not. It's better to not vow a vow and break it. Or I'm going to mess that up. It's better. You know what I'm saying. Right? Everybody with me? So we should tell the truth. And if we're going to tell, promise something to God, it's better not to promise it if we're going to break that promise. So I get it. We don't want to make those assertions because we don't want to fail. But He is worthy. He is worthy of all. And others, those around us, need our faithfulness. And if you think about it, many of us have no problems making commitments in earthly things and things that don't really matter. And we often demonstrate that confidence is in ourselves and not Christ. We make certain commitments like to finish college degrees, for example, to finish our careers strong, to attain personal goals. And these are not necessarily bad things, but they should all fall under our confidence in Christ and our confidence to continue in Christ. You know, when I was in the army, I could say with confidence that as long as I was able, I would never fail a physical fitness test. It wasn't going to happen. I can tell you that now. Don't ask me to take one now. But when I was there, I would tell you there's no way I'm going to fail that. It's not going to happen. I can tell you that as a husband, that while I'm not perfect, I am confident that I will continue to be true to my wife. I can say that. Matter of fact, I promised her that 27 years ago. We make confident commitments all the time. And we probably have many other commitments that we are confident in, but somehow when it comes to Christ, we don't make any commitments. We're afraid to make any commitment. But Paul said, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith. As we kind of, kind of wind down this morning, my challenge, God's challenge to me and to you is to place our confidence in Christ so that we can be confident to continue. We don't have to start out with something overwhelming here, overwhelming at all. You know, we can, uh, we can say, you know, we're not going to get up here and say, I, will, I commit to lead music next week. Maybe. I would, if I could get out of it, I probably would. So I'm not going to commit to that. But I would commit to you that I will be here next week. I can commit to you before God that I will be here next week, that I will be here the next week. In fact, for the rest of my life, I can commit that I will always be in a Sunday morning service if I'm able. Now, sometimes you can't. I get that. But I will always be in church because it's important to me. Because it's important to God. I will not allow the world to get in the way of my walk with Christ. I am confident that if the Lord tarries, I will do my best to live for him. Whatever it may be, whatever your new commitment is, I hope it's something. If for me to live is Christ, if for you to live is Christ, and to die is gain, there must be something in which you and I are confident that we can continue in for Christ. It's got to be something. If he is our all, if to me to live as Christ, there's something I have to give for that person I claim to be my own. Maybe it's daily devotions. 
Maybe it's a scripture immersion. Maybe I will make a commitment that I will never go a day without praying. I will never go a day without reading. Whatever it may be, start small, but let it continue to grow so that God can conform you into the image of His Son. But make a commitment today. Make Him your all. And qualify that statement with confidence by living it out. And again, whatever that new commitment is, with Christ as your all, we too can be able to say that I know that I shall continue. I know. We've been given that. This is not a a salvation where sometimes the Lord's going to bless me. God has enabled us. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. That's God. The God who created this world. Quicker than that, lives within us. So when we say, oh, I can't, I can do all things through Christ, right? I can do all things. We can say, I know that I shall abide and continue. We can be confident to continue. We can be confident in conflicts. And we can be confident in Christ. Because he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray.